0: How's everybody doing tonight? You doing good? Thanks for coming out. Thanks for those who made it possible for me to have some Chick-fil-A. We don't have a Chick-fil-A in our area, so that's a, that's a treat for me. Um, so, uh, last night I did something funny just to warm up the crowd. And I want to do something funny just for fun tonight to warm up the crowd. Because in a minute, I'm going to ask you if anybody wants to share a testimony. <gasps> wow! In a Methodist church! I'd love to hear how Christ got a hold of you, or uh, the miracles you've seen in your life, or just whatever you want to thank the Lord for, I want to give you a chance to do that. There's a story in the Bible where Paul is preaching, and a fellow falls asleep and falls out of the window. Well, when I read that story, I wrote this. And the title of this is, Fred is Dead. Once upon a time, there's a fellow whose name was Fred. And he married a girl with auburn hair. And he nicknamed her Red. So Fred wed Red. One morning, Red elbowed Fred and said, Get out of bed. We are going to the church where we were wed. Well, Fred didn't want to get out of bed, and he did not want to go to the church where they were wed. So a thought came into Fred's head. Fred said, Red, I would love to go to the church where we were wed. But I'm dead. And Red said, Get out of bed, you are not dead. But no matter how she begged and pled, he was, kept telling her, I'm dead. So that Monday, Red made an appointment with Dr. Ted, who examined Fred from the tips of his toes to the top of his head. And he said, Fred, you are not dead. But you might be sick in the head. And so, Dr. Ted made an appointment with Dr. Zed. And Dr. Zed examined Fred. And Dr. Zed said, Fred, do you think you're dead? And he said, I don't just think I'm dead. Fred is dead. And Dr. Zed said, Fred, the dead, if they are poked, will they have bled? And Fred said, the dead will not have bled. And quick as a flash with a needle and thread, Dr. Zed, poked Fred in the head. And Fred bled. And then Fred said, Well, I'll be. The dead, if poked, will have bled. And Red just shook her head. And they went home. And when they walked in the door, Fred said to Red, Red, I sure would love to have some of your homemade bread. And Red said, Fred... The dead will not be fed. And then next Sunday morning, when Red elbowed Fred, Fred got out of bed. And he went to the church where they were wed. And when the preacher got up to preach, Fred went back to bed. A lot of people applauded this time, just so I'll move on. Just so I'll move on. I would love to hear uh, how the Lord got a hold of you. It does not have to be a complicated thing. Uh, I, it may be, for, for me, uh, I had godly parents. I had youth leaders who didn't give up on me. I had a pastor who saw that not only did I need Jesus, but I needed attention. And he let me get up and, and, and do things in front of the church. So I'd love to know, uh, anybody, how did the Lord get a hold of you? Or, or just, what have you seen God do miraculously? That you want to give God the glory. Has anybody been sick and the doctor? Yes, sir. You please tell us. Yes, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is good. God is good. I don't know about y'all, but I'm so glad I came to church tonight. I am so glad just to get to hear that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else got a, just a word of grace? A word of thanksgiving? A word of miracle? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Please do. Yes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is good. Mm. Mm. Later on tonight, at the, uh, towards the end of the service, you're going to say to yourself, you know, God's been so good to me. I should have stood up for him. He, I've seen his answer. I should have said, don't worry. Because tomorrow night I'm going to give you another chance. <laughs> you be praying. Have you seen miracles in your life? Have, 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 has God done things that doctors said couldn't be done? And I'm going to give you a chance tomorrow night to, to share that. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you tonight to turn to the book of Daniel. The first chapter in Daniel. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 5. Daniel chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Those who were chosen were some from Judea, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. He asked the chief priests for permissions not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel... I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than all the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief priest had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance to that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine, They were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. May the Holy Spirit that is moving among us add a blessing and an anointing that the living Word of God might tonight live in our hearts. Would somebody say amen? So I'm a grandpa. i got a grandson that's four and a half years old. So I, I look at Scripture differently now. At one point in my life, I would have said, I wonder what how Daniel may have treated his children or told these stories to his children. But because of this stage in my life, I thought, when Daniel got to be a grandfather, how did he tell these stories to his grandchildren? And this is my Grandpa Adams' hat. Grandpa Adams. So I... I I thought I, this is in my mind how I think it might have been. Well, looky here. My grandkids come to see me. Come on up here. Now, Grandma's cooking you something for lunch, but I'll entertain you while we're waiting on her. Did ever tell you about that floating hand in the, oh, I, I told you that one, didn't I? Did I ever tell you about the, my three buddies in that fiery furnace? Oh, I told you that one, too. Did I ever tell you when I, when I faced that ferocious, um, that ferocious, um, I'm not lying. He was ferocious. The thing about facing a lion, you think you're going to see the teeth and the claws. But it was that hair that I first saw. Yeah, when it's a lion, that hair's the main thing. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, I told you that one too, did I? Well, did I ever tell you about the time I faced that Babylonian pig? Oh, I didn't tell you that one. See, youngins, when I was just no more than you are, I was kidnapped, taken away from my home and my family and taken off to Babylon. Now, I didn't know what I was going to face, whether I'd be in slavery or whether I'd be tortured. But they put on the finest clothes on me. Gave me the best teachers there were and the best food. But the problem is, see, we're Hebrew. And there's some food that we're not supposed to eat. We're set apart. We're different. And so I I couldn't do it. I, I just told them, that's, you know, I might live in Babylon. But that's not who I am. I'm a child of the King. That's who I am. That's who I belong to. Oh, you think that's easy, don't you? You think, oh, that's easy. I faced a lion one time. I had to smell that bacon every day. Pork chops, ribs, every day. All those times I was about to give up. and That's when one of my buddies said, hey. Who do you belong to? See, some battles are in the pit with a lion. And some battles are in your heart. So youngins, I just want you to remember. You're a child of the king. That's who you are. You're going to face battles. And you better be ready. Grandma says lunch is ready. Y'all come back next week and I'll tell you when I battle diabetes. (laughs) One more time, just a little, just a little. (laughs) Daniel was 14 years old. 14, 15, that's what they guess, scholars guess. He he was just a kid, just a, a teenager. How does a teenager stand up against a culture? Do you remember what it's like to be a teenager? One of the defining characteristics, you do, you probably remember it. <laughs> One of the defining characteristics of being a teenager is to belong, to long to belong, to be a part of the group, to be accepted. That's how God creates us. It's a wonderful gift that God gives us because we begin to explore the world outside our family and to yearn to be a part of something. But it is hard as a teenager to stand up against culture, and it's hard as an adult. To stand up against culture. So how did this young man do it? What did he have going for him? We could say he had a strong character. Or, 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 or maybe he had the right uh, raising. Or, or, or God's spirit was upon him. You know, lots of those things. But I like to think, and I think it's probably true, sometime in his childhood, somebody began to teach him that God loved him that he was uh, called up as a part of God's people. Church family, the things you do to, to feed the hungry are important and godly things. The things you do with youth groups are important and godly things. The, the worship that you have, the Bible study that you have, those are all wonderful things. But is there anything more important than we do than teach children that Jesus loves them? This they know. Because the Bible tells them so, we uh, we have a, had a big vacation Bible school with our church, and and, and uh, we we needed uh, 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 eighty volunteers. That's, that was the goal, eighty volunteers, and and the most they'd ever had was sixty sign up. So I I I said I, I you know I'm your pastor. I'll do whatever. I said uh, uh, make a challenge. If if they get eighty volunteers by this date. I will dye my beard blue, Carolina blue. That's sacrifice. That is sacrifice right there. Now, I was a Carolina fan before I got saved. And uh, I said that before, but I I was never a Carolina fan. But anyway... So they did, they did. And, and, and so we had, you know, if you've been a part of Vacation Bible School, it's just cutting stuff out. That's all you do is just cut stuff out and cut stuff out and cut stuff out and buy macaroni to glue on a piece of paper. And, and uh, you know what you do at Vacation Bible School? Change other people's diapers. Kids' diapers, that's all you do. I, I helped do that. I hadn't changed a diaper in so many years. I still can't eat mustard on a hot dog. I just, woo. But well, one of the things I try to teach my, my, uh, tell my volunteers is this. is It seems like goofiness, and we're just having fun and playing games, but we are, we're creating an environment where they know they're loved. And, and they're going to grow up knowing the stories of the Bible. And, and someday in a church, in a Bible study, in a conversation, somebody's going to say, Did you know that Jesus died for you on a cross? That you can be forgiven? Did, did you know He can live in your heart? And you, your life will never be the same. And there's going to be a kid who says, I feel like I've heard that before. And I think it's true. And it's going to be because your church said, children matter. There are, all the things we do are important, but there's nothing more important than what this church will do to reach the next generation for Christ. And I pray that God would give this church such a burden for that. It's hard to be the church today. Can we we confess that? In the culture that we live in, that is more resistant to the gospel, maybe, than our nation has ever been. There have always been times in the world where it was well. But I think it is true to say that our nation, at this moment in history, is more resistant to the good news of Christ than it has ever been. So all we gotta do is say, God, I'm sorry, it's really hard. And he'll go, Well, never mind. You don't need to do it. There's it is not an accident that you've been placed in this church, in this community at this time. God has a plan to use you to reach this generation. Um We've got a new puppy. got a new puppy. And we've been faithful with what we weren't faithful last time. When our last dog, uh, who, who we had for 15 years, I, I said to my, my family, we're not going to feed that dog from the table. I'm not going to be eating every meal that I have with a dog begging at my foot for food. And we are not going to do it. But somehow, somebody accidentally dropped one little morsel of food and that dog never forgot it. That one taste was all it took. And she was there every time, just waiting. When are you going to feed me? When are you going to feed me? I know there's food up there. I just know there was that food that time. I want the body of Christ, I want you and I to be like a dog after a bone. We are not going to give up. We're going to keep trying whatever it takes until we reach this generation for Christ. We'll fail at some things. Some things won't work and some things will work. But we will not give up because there is nothing more important than you'll ever do in your life than let a child know that Jesus loves them. What did this young man have going for him? Well, one thing is, he realized that the culture that he lived in would influence him. That may seem like easy, but no, we don't realize that. I don't realize that too often. I don't realize that, that I swim in a culture that like a fish in, uh, in water, that fish didn't go, hey, seems kind of wet around here. We don't realize that, that the, this culture is shaping us. I got to preach in England and uh, uh, after I preached a sermon, this little kid came up to me, I am not making this up, and he said, "What do you talk so funny? That's a great question. Did I wake up and say, you know, I think I'm going to sound like Mr. Haney from the Green Acres. Oh, I, you know, I think that's who I want. Gomer Pyle, that's, uh, you know, today, Shazam, Shazam. Some of you, you, you can Google it. Um, I talk like I talk because I've been hanging around you hillbillies all my life. Our accent, we don't think about it, it, just shapes us. Well, if that is true of the, the phrases we use, it's true of what we value. We've been shaped by a culture that is not living for Jesus. I love America. I love what God has done and is doing through our nation. But when people visit our country who haven't grown up in this culture, do you know what they see about us we don't see about ourselves? They see that we love stuff. That we worship things. It's hard for us to see that. It's hard for us to say that. But we spend so much of our lives trying to get things. Can I say a hard thing? It's Hard for me to say? Hard for me to face? Maybe we're bowing down to an idol and we don't even know it. Daniel knew it. Daniel knew that if he lived in that culture, that culture would shape him. And so he chose. He chose to say, I might live here, but this is not who I am. Now, my uh, church, can you hear this? I don't think everything in culture is bad. Not in any way. I think God is using culture in amazing ways and, 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 and drawing us closer to Him. But the moment something else becomes more important than Jesus. It becomes an idol. When I was at uh, Duke Cemetery, uh, uh, Seminary, um, we used to have debates. I, had, I was a part of a, a Bible study and a, a fellowship, and we'd talk about, uh, you know, how would we share our faith with someone who's Muslim, but with someone who's Buddhist, or, 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 or uh, an atheist, or an agnostic? How would we have that conversation? And so we really talked about how do you do it gently, how do you do it effectively? But in uh, Oak Ridge, uh, uh, North Carolina, I, I, you would you wouldn't believe how few Muslims I've ever run into. You wouldn't believe how few Buddhists I, I ever run into, and I don't even run into that many who who, was, who would say they're atheist. But I run into a lot of people that choose the lake over worship. Now, I'm not I'm not saying you can't go to the lake. I, you know, if I had a lake house and I wasn't a pastor, I'd go. I'd find a church there somewhere. But I'd go. But if if, if some other place, if some other thing always takes first place. Over the body of Christ, always. Every time you got to make a decision, when you show up to church or you're going to go do something else, if, if church always gets second place, if the body of Christ always gets second place, if a group of people living for Jesus who are trying to help you live for Jesus always gets second place, then guess what? You got an idol. And so Daniel said, I choose God, I choose God's people. That, that's who's going to shape. My heart. And that's by invitation to you. Uh, when, when you. When you said I love you, Jesus, you know you also meant I, I love your people. And some of those that 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 those people that get on your last nerve. Don't look at them. Just look at me. Look at me. They're here, but don't look at them straight. Look at me. You know, God said that's that's who I'm placing you with. The task of living the gospel is too hard to do by yourself. All my life i had people say, can, can you be a Christian not be a church member? You can accept Christ without being a church member. Absolutely. But I don't know how you live it without the body of Christ. I can't. I, I need y'all. I need y'all desperately. And then the last thing that he had was he had each other. He had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When he was about to doubt, when he was about to give up, when he was about to go the other way, one of them had to say, "Come on, Daniel! Come on, Daniel! That's not who we are." My first church in uh, Reedsville, North Carolina, we had a young man that uh, stopped going to church, and you know they said, "Preacher, would would you visit him, talk to him?" He just and, and I did. I went to and I said, "Come on." We'd love to have you back. I was, I was fresh out of seminary. I was real gentle. You know, we love you, and, and I know you have struggles, but, but we really want you to come back. And he didn't come back. Then his uncle went with me. And his uncle looked at him. His uncle loved him. I mean, loved him. And his uncle looked at him. He said, boy, you need to be in church. You need them, and they need you. And he looked at his uncle and he said, Yes, sir, I'll be in church on Sunday. Um, Do you have anybody in your life that will speak the truth to you in love? You got anybody to say, How how is your prayer life? How's the Bible study? You got anybody who'll say, "Um, You know, we're putting together some meals for family?" Could you help us out? We need one another. And oh, what God can do when we become the body of Christ. Biblical accountability today is so weird to us, it seems like a foreign land. The idea that John Wesley had a a, a small group meetings and holding one another accountable, really, I mean, that's weird to us. That seemed weird to us. We would think somebody who did that was a busybody who was trying to get in our business. We'd accuse them of that. I, I got to preach in uh, in Wales. And uh, while I was there, they, they, they told me I should try haggis. Try haggis, you know. Well, you know, that's sh- sheep's bladder. That's what it is, stuff with meat. But, uh, uh, I, you know, I'm, that kind of stuff don't gross me out. It don't. I, so I said, bring it on! <laughs> I've had chitlins. Bring it on! So I invited him when he came back. uh, uh, One of the pastors, he came to preach in my area. And I said, "Uh, have you ever had liver mush? (laughs) Is that what y'all call it? You call it liver pudding. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about? That gray brick that looks like a brain slice. Kind of congealed a little bit. Shakes a little bit, you know. I said, "Uh, have you ever had liver mush? (laughs) He said, I can't do Scottish. Uh, But anyway, so... uh, I uh, I put it out in front of him. I said, we're going to slice this real thin. We're going to fry it up, put it on a piece of bread with some cheese and mayonnaise. And he, in the Scottish accent, said, no thank you. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. Because he'd never seen it. He'd never seen it. It seemed odd to him. Um, most of us have never seen a, a group of believers that love us enough to hold us accountable. We've not even seen it. We don't know what it's like been so long since the church had small groups that really really not 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 worried about busyness but worried about your soul pulling for you to know jesus deeper Um, let somebody do that for you and be that for somebody else what if you said uh to your 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 sunday school class instead of um where are we going to eat at after, after a church on Sunday? What are we going to have to eat? What if you said, um, I'm going to invite somebody to church next week. Will you do the same? What if you challenged, said, I don't know where they'll come, but I, I'm going to do it. Will you hold me accountable? What if you said, I'm going to get involved in this ministry in the church. I've never been involved in it, but but they seem to need some help. Would you come with me? I mean that is where we we, we need to be. Uh, I do see people who say, "Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I preach. I'm sorry. I know, but I know you need somebody, and I'll do it." But that next step, you know what? I'm gonna get some other people excited about it too. Oh, what God would do! What God would do with the people who said, uh, "I might live in this world, but I need to belong to this world." And I don't, Lord, I don't want to be a thermometer that is the temperature that is set. I want to be a thermostat that changes the culture, that changes my school. Yeah, I'm still broken, and I'm still mixed up, and when I begin to say, hey, can I pray for you, or I want to be a different person, they're going to look at me and go, I remember what you did last week. Um, Let's get over it. Get over who you were, because Christ is already over it. And if you got out of bed today you got a second chance at life. Back when I was uh, uh, um, in college, I was um, uh, working for a church in the summer and I was headed, uh, running late. I had visited my family and I headed over top of a hill and a transfer truck just pulled right in front of me and I jerked the steering wheel as hard as I could and my car literally, literally was an inch away from that truck. And for one second I thought, I'm a dead man. This is how I die. I'm going to die right here. And when I, when I got done, I was just shaking, just sweating. And all day I thought, God's given me a second chance. And, I, and I, for a while, you know, I lived that. It wears off. I want to remember it again. Tomorrow is a second chance to live for Jesus. Oh, what a life it's going to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to sing. I'm going to invite the musicians to make their way forward. And, and um, I don't know about you, but this kind of challenge scares me to death to know that tomorrow is a day given to me, a precious gift, something that some people want and don't get. And, and the fact that God calls me not to a, a sort of life, but to a life for Him, a, a real life for Him, it just terrifies me. And so I want, to, I want to come to an altar and say, Lord, uh, I, I can't do it by myself, and I want to live for you. And for some, it, tonight would be a great night to say, Lord, I, I, I haven't known you Savior. I've known about you, but I had not known you. Tonight would be a good night to say, I'm a sinner who needs you. Come into my heart. Tonight would be a great night to say, Lord, I've known you, but I haven't been living for you, and I want to do that. And tonight would be a great night just to pray. Whatever's on your heart, whatever burden you brought into this place, what a shame it would be if you didn't leave it right here at the altar. So will you stand together? And as the Lord leads you, will you come and pray?